Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. I'd like to start today's episode by saying that, right on the surface, it's unlike any other Attendance Bias episode for a very fundamental reason. Every single one of the 60-something episodes that I've released so far has been about the band Fish, and that's totally fine by me. They're my favorite, I know the most about them, and I'll never get tired of talking about them. But ever since I first had the idea of attendance bias, I've always wanted to venture beyond Fish. Yes, it's pretty obvious to me that Fish fans are more cerebral and maybe more celebratory about the band than most other fan bases. Fish concerts rise and fall by their reputation, but the concept of attendance bias, applying special meaning or emotions to a performance because you were there, I think it can apply to any band. So a few weeks ago on Twitter, I posted randomly something about Radiohead set at Bonnaroo 2006, which was on June 17th, 2006, to be exact. And there was a huge response. Obviously, it resonated with a lot of people. In particular, I noticed the comments from previous attendance bias guest Matt Campbell. He responded with extreme enthusiasm, saying how the concert was life-changing. I was there, and I felt similarly. This show really did transport my brain a number of times. But I really wanted to know his impressions of the show. Since Radiohead is not my absolute favorite band, I love them, but I don't know as much about them as Fish or The Grateful Dead or The Who, other bands that I obsess over. So as a result, I don't get to talk to many Radiohead fans that often. I figured that this might be the opportunity for attendance bias to step out a little bit. So if you're a new listener or a longtime listener, I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Matt Campbell about Radiohead's Saturday night headlining show at Bonnaroo on June 17th, 2006. Matt, welcome back to Attendance Bias. So good to have you on this unique but very exciting day yeah thank you for having me um yeah i'm so excited it feels like home now second time (laughs) right so i I feel i feel like an attendance biased veteran now yeah you're one of the few you're one of the few who have made a double appearance i think there's only one other guy wow an honor to be in that kind of company so i'll I'll take it anytime anytime i get a call from you brian (laughs) i'm taking it and we're, we're talking so And I asked you to come back because I forget how it all started, but a couple of weeks ago, maybe I put something out there on Twitter about this show, about Radiohead at Bonnaroo 2006. And I think you replied that it's one of the best shows you've ever seen. Guilty. Yes. Every time I see it, it's one of those things. Like if I see 2.0 reference, if I see, you know, golden age, if I see any kind of thing like that, I have to reply. It's like (laughs) an impulse. And this one, any kind of re- reference to the Bonnaroo performance uh, at, at Radio, Radiohead in 2006, it is just a magnet for me because it is. it was such a special experience for me in every way and really kind of was, was one of my favorite concert going, you know, times of all time. So, yeah. Mine too. And I'm really, really excited to dig into it. And for any listeners to this episode, Just on the off chance in my wildest dreams that someone came to this episode in this podcast, not a fan of the band Fish, of which this is ostensibly about, you were on this podcast a little while ago to talk about the uh, Fish's performance of Ghost 
from Radio City Music Hall on May 22nd, 2000, where we did a little bit of background of who you are, you know, your your fandom and all that. But for any new listeners, who are you? Tell us a little bit about Matt Campbell. This is like the most boring part, for sure. (laughs) That's why we're doing it in the beginning. But that's okay. That's (laughs) right. Let's get them over with. Um, But no, I've, you know, fish-wise, yes. So I I kind of been working, you know, now again with What Plus. It's 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 a kind of a passion project that we have where we do a lot of silly videos and lot show recaps and, and things like that, um, that are fish related. Um, I've been working with free along with that. That's, um, fans for racial equity, which is a group that, um, you know, is centered around fish, but, um, we're trying to also kind of like you, um, Brian kind of spread our wings out into different kinds of bands and different kinds of scenes to help with just, again, equity in the music scenes and industry and in our community, um, yeah. And I've been doing some video editing with Jay Cohen of some, some, of uh, the black roots of fish. And yeah, then I've been doing just different kinds of dad stuff. Cause I'm a dad and, a teacher <laughs> and yeah, all kinds of just, yeah, really exciting things. Um, yeah. And listening to lots of music because that's what I really love. It's been always a part of my vision for this podcast to like Matt just mentioned, spread my wings, so to speak, and include it for any concert that you love. And this show and this whole weekend of Bonnaroo in 2006 was one of the highlights of my life, let alone my music going life, but it really was something else. And so if there's anyone out there listening, even if you're not a fan of the band Fish and you have another show that sort of changed your life, get in contact with me. Find me on Twitter at Attendance Bias, or I think it's at Attendance Bias Podcast. Either way, you'll find me and uh, reach out. So Matt, let's get into Bonnaroo 2006. And so Bonnaroo as a festival, most people know it by now. It started in 2002 in Manchester, Tennessee. Now it's called The Farm, where everyone knows what it is now. It was right. a four, It's a four-day festival if you count the Thursday night or the day zero, which I do. I saw a band there called Devotchka on Thursday night, which was awesome. Amazing. Like, do you Thursday know who they are? Yeah, I've absolutely heard of them. Yes, I'm not a, not a, like a big fan, but definitely heard of them. And Thursday night scene is always fun because the energy is just everybody's getting there. And yeah, absolute blast. I don't remember what I did. Honestly, I won't lie. Again, this was a solo trip for me. So um, did you drive? I drove, drove. From where? And drove solo from KC. So it's about, you know, and that's when really it's pretty easy. It's only about an eight hour drive to get there. And it's a real quick drive, straight shot, you know. Um, but yeah, I did it solo. I had actually just started dating my wife. We'd known each other forever. Um, she couldn't really kind of make it work. And I the the lineup just hit me so perfectly that I was like, I have to go. Yeah. So Thursday night, I think I got there late and it was just got set up. Again, I was solo and I think I just wandered you know, on mm-hmm. Thursday night, but yeah, that's amazing. So you went to Devotchka on 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Thursday, I love Thursday night because it's much less crowded than it is for the remainder of the weekend. You could see any band that's performing right up close. There's no crowd to, I mean, there is, but it's not as suffocating not as Bonnaroo it would be. Crowd. Right. A right. Bonnaroo crowd of 80,000 people. <laughs> exactly. And like you said, you're just getting the lay of the land which is always the first thing to do at a festival. Once you set up camp, it's always good to get to know your neighbors to how far is it to the playing fields? Uh, where are some pretty important landmarks to recognize late night? Once you're on your way back to your campsite, 
that you know you'll be able to find your home base. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is, yeah, you got to make that a priority immediately. Yeah, as just, you know, anyone out there that hasn't, maybe we're hoping there'll be more festivals coming up soon as we start to kind of move out of this kind of, hopefully soon out of this situation we've been in. And yeah, just rule number one, find those landmarks, find those ways home. And Bonnaroo can be a place where you can end up really close and it's super convenient. You're like, oh my gosh, like I can hear the music or you can end up so far back. I've had, you know, both experiences where I've ended up, you know, wow, this is great. I'm perfect right here. And then I've been two miles away and it's so very important to like go, all right, um, this, this is this street. This is this light post. This is this campsite. That's got this flag, like very, very important. And honestly, it's more important for your friends because they're going to make it back. And then you're not right. And then you're, and you're <laughs> it always not, feels that way. Doesn't it? Right. And you're not for like two hours, you know, and then they've got to get out and then they've got to figure out how to find you. And it just becomes one of those things, you know, in 2006 and early on in Bonnaroo, I mean, it was kind of early cell phones, you know, I mean, we had them, obviously, you know, we were, you know, this was definitely, but this is like flip phones. It felt like, you know, yeah, the iPhone was released in 2007. This is before smartphones. There you go. So, I mean, it was still a level of like, you had to kind of old school it. It could, you couldn't just rely on, you know, oh, just text me or just like call me and we'll find you. Yeah. So great point. And you brought up the lineup. So a little bit of a Wikipedia history of Bonnaroo mixed with my own memories and I'm sure yours as well. Yes. When Bonnaroo got started, it kind of focused on showcasing what was then the neo jam band scene of 2002. Fish was on hiatus at the time. And this was the best time, in my opinion, F Fish being absent, the best time to see live music in the jam band scene because there was no air apparent. There was no really second tier. I guess Mo or String Cheese Incident would have been the closest, but you could even see them at a theater for maybe 30 bucks. And that was expensive for, you know, for Radio City Music Hall, for example, where I saw New Year's Eve, I think it was String wow. Cheese Incident. So there was exactly there was Great a point. lot out there. There's a lot of bands, if not actively vying for that audience, at least competing for it. Love and that, so yeah. Fish wasn't touring from 2000 or late 2000 to 2003. There was this explosion of these performers who are coming to multiple levels of prominence and success, depending on how you define those terms, uh, other than maybe the dead or the other ones, whatever they were calling themselves, that iteration. But other than them, I can't really think of what you would call a jam band that could sell out an arena. So it was a perfect setup for a festival where there's a lot of stages, a big enough audience to find others. And that was, I think Bonnaroo began self not self-consciously, um, but self-aware that this is the space for that. If you want to see this band that you've been hearing about, they'll be at Bonnaroo. Right. What well, was a blessing, I think, for for us kind of in this part of the country, too, was a bit was having this right, because this was pretty rare for us to be having this something like this so close, you know, talking about the Midwest kind of Southeast border. Accurate. Yes. And so something being like eight hours from my hometown, you know, where we could go and see, and it started to just, like you said, especially probably in 2006, where it really branched out to really a cultural event, not just a jam band scene, but um, the moment where it kind of said, Hey, this is where bands 
want to come they're they're booking these bands that are more prominent i mean these are you know again radiohead is an internationally you know known and you know huge band wherever they play and so like having that so close was such a big thing because coachella was a thing you know i mean there were there were festivals out there you know that were trying to do some of the same similar stuff but like, you know, that was again, LA, you know, and it made sense, you know, to have that on a far, far East coast in the New York, you know, area, but like having something like this in this part of the country and then the performances and, and the, the, the vibe of it, like how it grew kind of organically from our scene in some ways to like more of just a festival scene, but it still has that, it still hung on, you know, so much of that vibe, especially like in 2006 through, you know, the next couple of years, it felt like you, you didn't matter the lineup. It still was the same crowd. And that became really prominent by 2006. There were a lot of genres. They started to expand. I went in 2004 and that, it was still pretty thick in that jam band uh, genre. But by 2006, they've really expanded to include alternative indie rock, jam rock, of course, but also crowd pleasers like Tom Petty who headlined the Friday night show and just killed it, by the way. Uh, That set is available on YouTube. You can just search Tom Petty Bonnaroo 2006. Stevie Nicks. Yeah, Stevie Nicks came out. Oh, my gosh. Played like half the set with him. Yeah, just an incredible, incredible moment as well. It it was wonderful. And that they, even though they were still holding tight to the roots, like you get, well, not the band, the roots, even though they probably were there, but I mean, the <laughs> roots, <laughs> the roots of their, of their lineups, like that, that jam centric feel, they still held pretty tight to that, but the writing was already on the wall in 2006, that they were ready to transcend one genre because now in 2021, virtually anybody is liable to headline Bonnaroo. I just made a really small list of recent and not so recent headliners. It includes Eminem, Lizzo, Springsteen, LCD Sound System, Pearl Jam, um, of course, Fish has headlined it twice, uh, but The Dead, uh, Neil Young, and whichever classic rock patriarch is available in any any given year, they're bound to show up. So, you know, Bonnaroo hasn't been for jam band fans anymore exclusively, and it's kind of positive and negative in that if you really want to see your type of music, it'll be there, but it's not exclusively going to be catered to you. Yeah. I hear a lot of complaints in some ways that yeah. way. Right. And you, what you hear mostly is, and maybe in some ways this is this 2006 is why I've always said, it's like to me, the peak of festival culture right here, you know, and again, it's that attendance bias, but like part of me is just that this was a perfect melting of this moment. And maybe afterwards it did maybe lose some of what it, its original intent in Bonnaroo and what we maybe all went for. Now, to me, I'm absolutely fine with it. And I think it's been a really cool and kind of organic growth. And I love these other genres. For me, I'm not a jam band music fan only. So this is right. This is great for me. You know, I, I think this is perfectly how it should be. Um, but I also understand those folks that definitely are like, oh, the first one was the best one. And they all went downhill after, right? Like, because the first one, yeah, I've, I've still got a t-shirt from it. And it's widespread panic, Trey, Anastasio, Phil and friends. That's the headliners. And then it's all the way down the hill of Mo, String Cheese Incident, every kind of jam band. Now, how exciting was that? We'd all been clamoring for something like that. Like, why don't these 
bands all just play in one place. That could be a thing. And then it finally happened. So I, I was so excited. And then as it kind of grew, I mean, for me, I don't think it was, I stopped going in some ways, but it wasn't because of the, the lineups. It was more just because I got older, you know, and it becomes harder to do festivals and harder to do these things. But it, again, I'm, I love that kind of where it's ended up if so, in some ways. We're also 15 years older. You and I, then we were at the well, time. We don't 15. Is it 15? Let, I'm going to check. The I don't math. know. No good at math. You tell okay. me 2021 uh, minus 2006. You tell uh, me. It probably is, buddy. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, 15 years. Can you believe it? So when we, yeah, when we look at this lineup, we'll say, you know, I don't recognize anyone until like that fourth line down where the font goes from size 48 to size 16. <laughs> exactly. you know? So that's where, that's where we are. But in 2006, know, like you said, attendance bias in full effect. It might have been the best lineup I've ever seen. But Tom Petty on Friday night, Radiohead Saturday, Phil Lesh and Friends on Sunday are the headliners. But a small sampling. This is not even going a full screen all the way down. Other performers included Oysterhead, which if anyone doesn't know out there, is a super group made up of Trey Anastasio of Fish, Les Claypool of Primus, and a billion other bands, and Stuart Copeland drumming of The Police. So there's Oysterhead, Ben Folds, Death Cab for Cutie, uh, Elvis Costello with Alan Toussaint, Beck, My Morning Jacket, Common, Umphreys for Two Nights, Disco Biscuits, Cypress Hill, Buddy Guy, Dr. John, the Neville Brothers, the Avid Brothers were in the lounge. Yeah. And that's not even it. There was also Sonic Youth, who wasn't even listed till the very bottom. Yeah. Mo, Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. And oh. the Super Jam late at night was, for us, Big Fish Heads, was incredible. It was Grab, which was Marco Benevento and Joe Russo with Trey Anastasio and Mike Gordon. Right. And Phyllesh came on, right? Right. Just an absolute, absolute crazy night. And Dr. John in some ways. So I watched about five songs of Dr. John and then, so Dr. John like opened up for grab and then Phil came on, but it was like this most ridiculous moment, I, you know, like, and again, I was just in this going, I just kind of was thinking to myself how perfect of a musical, like mixing melting pot of things. Like this is so good. I'm getting to watch Dr. John open for Trey and Phil comes out and it just was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> Before 2006, you said you've attended at least the first Bonnaroo. How many times had you gone to the festival and how many times since? Another story for another podcast, but I, I hung out at my buddy's wedding. I Me and my buddy actually sang and performed on my buddy's wedding and did the first or did the last day of first Bonnaroo Sunday. So we came in with the most funniest perspective because everybody was just like laid out and cashed <laughs> and like it was a really like walking dead almost experience walking in that morning on sun, you know, on Sunday after everybody had raged Thursday, Friday, Saturday it was quite, quite a deal. Um, and then, yes, did did the next two um, and did them fully um, and just had a blast. So, yeah, in 2006 was honestly my swan song. So I think I went like four times, uh, four or five times. And then 2006, that was my last one. I think it was just because it was so perfect. I wanted to go out on top. That was my last one, too. I went in 2004 and then again in 2006. And that was it. That was good enough for me. I remember there was a time during that weekend in 2006. It was extraordinarily hot, as it usually is. It's Tennessee in the second week of June. 
and I was under the uh, like the mushroom sprinklers in Centauru. And yeah. I remember looking around and just saying to myself, there's too many people here. It's too hard to get away. Like, even if I just sat down, I was never by myself, even for a little bit. And I said to myself, this, like you said, this is good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And sometimes you just kind of grow out of those experiences. I mean, it takes a level of endurance and a level of, I didn't want to talk it up to that in this 15 years ago thing, but, <laughs> but by even 15 years ago, it was time. It was like, yeah, my festival, just running around a festival days are probably numbered. Now I'd love to get back out there, you know, and give it a shot again, you know, because probably it's been long enough to where the, you know, like you start to build up the the thoughts in your head, like, oh, I could do it again. You know, we're probably hitting that age, right? Of the, we won't call it a midlife crisis, but you know, where we're- I was where right we, about to. Yeah, exactly. But we're like, hey, we could do a festival. Come on, man. We, we, we could totally rage it and have no problems in, but like, yeah, Saturday afternoon, we're like, why did we do this? But- I, I'm still, yeah, I'm still tempted, Brian. So maybe we need to get back out there, buddy. And we'll do it together. We'll support sure. each other. But in 2006, at what point did you decide you're going to Bonnaroo 2006? Saw the lineup. I mean, I literally, it was kind of almost an ins- impulse buy because, and that's why I ended up being solo because it didn't really work out for any of my other crew at that time. You know, it just wasn't really a thing that they could do. But when I saw the lineup, I bought them like, I'm pretty sure like day of, you know, they went on sale. You know, I was like, I'm going because again, I was a big, like I was into a little emo phase. So bright eyes, I started to get really into bright eyes. They were there. Ben folds. I'd grown up loving Ben folds. I'd seen Ben folds in like 96 in a little bar in Lawrence, Kansas, you know, sitting on the stage during the, the openers and stuff like just an absolute, you know, love, love Ben folds, um, Cypress Hill again, come on. So many incredible <laughs> Tom Petty. I was a big Tom Petty yeah. guy. I'd seen Tom Petty like four times and growing up and just absolutely loved Tom. So it just, it just got to a point where I was like, I, this, this festival has been made for me. And like, so it would be really weird if I didn't go. And then I couldn't really get anyone else to go. And I was like, I'm going solo anyway. I don't care. You know, like I just, and it was really great experience. I think by, again, I, by Sunday, you know, I was a little lonely and you're a little tired and you kind of need your friends to lift you up a little bit. And that kind of connection sometimes, you know, where it like can actually, you can kind of rally each other, you know, a little bit. And, but I, you know, so I was hurting a little bit by Sunday, but the rest <laughs> of it, I mean, I just, and you meet so many people, you, you, you're not connected to anyone as far as like deciding where, what music you see, you know, or what you, so you're free to just kind of go wherever you want to you go. Oh, I'm kind of not into this set. I want to go over here. You know, it was just that, I saw so so many more bands solo than I had ever had doing it as a group, if that made sense. So I thought, sure. you know, hey, as a music lover and someone who is really here for the music, as much as I love my crew, and now it's like kind of switched. And I think, you know, this, this COVID situation and everything, it's kind of like now it's all about the crew and hanging out with them, you know, and maybe less about the music in some ways. Um, but then it was kind of like, man, this is uh, this is almost the best way to do it, you know, because I got to see so much. I mean, I couldn't I wrote it down in my journal somewhere. It was like ended up being like 40 some bands like Dr. John. I'm counting it. You know, I saw Dr. John. I've never seen or, you know, Dr. John or had a chance to before that. I saw like five tracks, saw songs before. In fact, he did Destitively Bonnaroo. 
I was like, okay, I got to see him play the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got to see him play the song that the festival is named after, you know. So I'm counting that, man. I saw Dr. John, and then again, I wandered over to see Grab do the blazing set with Phil. So yeah, it's just an incredible experience I'll never forget. You know, I have a very hazy memory of seeing Dr. John perform atop an elephant. Or not a real elephant, but like a kind of a parade float shaped like an elephant. And I saw, I didn't even see Dr. John's face. I saw this giant purple robe or something like that. Wild setup. But one of the weirdest, and this is after Radiohead. Yeah. This is set right. So it's Radiohead. You wander over to the side stages and Dr. John is in these kind of elaborate costumes and there's all kinds of wild characters on stage with him too, right? Like it's this, it's basically you walked into a New Orleans, you know, club and it's just blowing your mind. And then it's actually kind of hard to walk away, but you know, Trey and, and Mike Gordon are playing next door. And so I'm kind of like slowly, you know, slow walking it to catch as much Dr. John as I can. Yeah. And then it's, and then it's grab, you know? So like, uh, yeah, you, it's an absolutely mind-blowing experience you know that you really can't like explain that's why it's so fun to talk to you and people who were there because it's just a feeling in some ways too this is one of my first conversation points for anyone i meet ever you know once i get to know their name basically and memorize it it'll say hey so let me tell you about the time i saw radiohead at bonnaroo in 2006 (laughs) like it's in the top two things i want to talk about at any given moment it's a complete flex for me. Like if people <laughs> even in awe, I'm like, yes, but I was there. Like that's to me. And, and you, you, you wrote in our notes, you know, as we were kind of researching this and looking at it, like they mentioned it so many times, how comfortable they felt there. Rolling Stone has mentioned how and ranked it, you know, so many times in like the top 10 concerts of, of the two thousands. I mean, this, this is a show that I, I think transcends when you watch it. If you look it up on YouTube and watch it visually, you'll get it. You'll hear it audioly, you know, you, whether you were there or not. It's just a epic, epic show. Well, yeah, bringing that up, let's let's slide a little bit into our personal histories with Radiohead. And so some of the things that have been said about this set since you brought it up, Johnny Greenwood, the band's guitarist and Willy Wonka, a noisemaker, He said that it was, quote, easily, comfortably the best festival experience I've ever had in America. And like you brought up, Rolling Stone called the show the best live band in rock playing its greatest concert ever. And then in August of 2006, which was just a couple of months after the show, Tom York was interviewed by the BBC and he said, quote, we did this festival called Bonnaroo. We did two and a half hours and there's 80,000 people. Admittedly, they've been smoking the sticky green all day. (laughs) Not me. He must be talking about someone else. Uh, Same, same. I don't know who Tom was looking at there, but it wasn't us. And he said, so they've been smoking the sticky green all day. They probably wouldn't go anywhere anyway. It was just amazing. We played loads of new stuff. We did whole sections of quiet piano songs. And it sounds like the most grotesque, self-indulgent nonsense. But it probably is my favorite gig for years and years and years. It was really a mellow evening. End quote. And then the New York Times called it magnificent. So doesn't Tom York sound like the quintessential tortured English artist? 
It's all rubbish. It all sounds so self-indulgent nonsense. It's so perfect, though. And I mean, as I was looking through this and I was listening to it back again, too, there is so many moments where it's just so mellow and the piano sounds and and it's just so calm. And so you just would never attempt it in a, in a, a festival setting with 80,000 people like this. But you also, and listen, we're, we're maybe known as a crowd for sometimes talking, but this was a crowd that really, when you hear it in audience tapes, were you hearing anything like they were quiet in the quiet parts, you know? I had a little bit of a freak out during one of those extremely quiet moments. Uh, I don't remember which song it was during because, and we'll get into this in a second. I wasn't that familiar with Radiohead. I knew Creep. I knew uh, prob- probably Fake Plastic Trees. And not much after that, I couldn't name a song off OK Computer, even though I was very well aware of the album and it's, reputation and its importance with a capital I to the music scene at the time. But there was a time during one of the songs and I was very close to the stage during this. And I looked around and I realized the only sound was coming right from the stage. There was no one talking next to me in this sea of people. And, you know, you and I go to a lot of festivals or jam band shows where people chat. No matter what's going on on stage, there's a lot of, of talk going around and it really freaked me out. And it really hit me where I'm like, everyone is silent and just staring straight ahead and Radiohead is loud. And so there was like this wave and wall of music coming at me very up close and there's no sound coming from any other direction. And I just kind of like dug my nails into my palms for a little bit, just trying to come to peace and come to terms with this strange world I found myself in. Oh my gosh. I love that description because yes, I had so many, so many moments in the exact same way. And just like, it's mesmerizing. I mean, there were so many moments where you just felt this connection with the band, the band with the crowd, the visuals on stage, the sounds coming out of it. Like everybody felt like it was like a respectful audience. It was, it was, again, it was just like, People knew they were seeing history within like, I felt like six or seven songs in, at least I felt like I did. It was, you know, I really was like, I, and and that was kind of the sad part is I really couldn't, I didn't have those really close friends next to me to be able to go dudes, like we're seeing history, you know, like this is, although again, my buddies, my Hennessy buddies, we were feeling it. I promise (laughs) you, you know, and we were just kind of looking at each other so many times just going, wow, you know, and in some ways being like, really vulnerable in our opinions which you not typically are with with people you know that you've just met or whatever but we're just you know the comments we were just making to each other like very little comments but when we did turn and talk it was just like what's happening you know our, like we were just trying to help each other explain to you know like what is going on this is so so good you know and i yeah magnificent is a great way to put it, it looks like the new york times got it right for once um but yes <laughs> it, magnificent is correct so radiohead was at probably the peak of their powers at that time you know not that they've come down at all but this was like like you mentioned before that they're a worldwide well-known phenomenal band that they'll sell out giant soccer stadiums in South America, just as easily as Madison square garden, just as easily as Wembley stadium. Like they are wherever they go, people follow. Correct. At the time they were writing and recording new music for what would become in rainbows to be released in 2007. And they were in the middle of a summer tour. 
for Bonnaroo. They played a summer tour in 2006, beginning in London, went to Copenhagen, uh, Amsterdam, and a few more shows in England. I think Blackpool was one of the places they played before coming over to the U.S. And they played some astonishingly small venues in the U.S., considering how popular they were. They uh, they played at the Tower Theater in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, if there are any fish fans out there, they you've heard of it, probably 1993, I imagine. Uh, but the capacity is 3,119 for yeah. Radiohead. Incredible. I know. I got Jason Ridge on Twitter. There's some people out there that I know have been to that. We were at that show. So every time I try to flex this 2006 um, Bonnaroo show, there's every there's a couple thousand people out there that have a little even more incredible flex of seeing yeah this band at the height of its popularity in some ways or at least the attraction because they had not played for a while too like things had kind of you know they hadn't put out a record there was a little little kind of you know couple you know years in between there and so yeah they could be playing anywhere and here they were playing yeah these very small almost almost like a warm-up shows yeah for the festival shows which but they had played some shows in europe so you just wonder yeah why that was necessary but so cool for those folks. If I could flex a little myself, I saw them in 2008 at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City. Right. And wow. I remember the show. I remember the version of Paranoid Android where I think it was Tom York was playing piano on a stand-up piano. And this was, I skipped Rosh Hashanah dinner to go because it was in uh, September. And that's, uh, I almost remember that more than anything else. Uh, that's a big deal. That's I a know. big one. That's I a big know, one for the Long man, Island what Jews. A show. Let's, yeah. What a show. I mean, and that was the first time where um, they didn't, there's something with scanning the tickets. Like you, they didn't give you the tickets in advance. Everyone had to line up and go to the will call window. You had to give your name. They'd give you two tickets. It was a limit of two. Get it scanned and go right in. You couldn't turn around and wait for someone. Like every, it had to be tickets upon arrival and seen. Like that That's was wild. it. They were yeah. doing all these weird things. If you remember, in Rainbows got released as a pay what you want. Yeah. Right. So they had not only kind of done, you know, they've kind of started to break some ground when it came to, you know, the way they were delivering their music, also too, you know, and they were they were kind of with Pearl Jam, trying to find ways to kind of take the power out of these big radio or record companies, out of the the big big radio in some ways, out of the Ticketmaster's hands in some ways. And make it, you know, more of an equitable situation. So I remember, and I took it up on them. I won't lie. I was, I didn't have, you know, a million dollars to spend on Radiohead Records. So I think I literally gave them, I felt bad like doing it for free because you could literally download it for free. I think I gave them 99 cents for In Rainbows when it first came out. And I thought, you know, I think, because part of me, you know, I also, it was kind of self-serving maybe a little bit because I was like, well, they want me to not pay much, right? That's why they're putting it out here. <laughs> that's one way uh, to interpret it, yeah. Right, of course. Like, that's, it's kind of, the, I'm really effing the man, right? If I give them fifteen ninety nine or whatever, what they get normally, then that ain't, you know, come on. So, yeah, they I, and that, I respected that, you know, I love that about them in some ways is that they, they have been a little bit of one, like you said, they're that that kind of band that as they're artsy a little bit and they they are they, you know they're cranky at sometimes but they're also very protective of their art and their fans and they do give a lot you know in some ways <clears throat> back to their fans you know and good song long sets like we talked about this being you know two and a half hours basically of just you know that was the other piece that that's not always a festival set length you know right. for a lot of bands fish of course but not you know, most bands, that's not what you're getting, you know? Yeah. 
uh, after Bonnaroo, they went back to Europe and played a few more shows in August and ended their summer tour. So before this, what was your history with Radiohead? I'll tell mine after you. Yeah, for me, not a, that was this was the first time seeing them. Um, when, but I really, really enjoyed everything that they had done prior to. But I couldn't really call myself a you know, huge, huge Radiohead fan again. And I think there's always levels for us. And sometimes, and maybe, I, maybe I would be in some per- people's eyes, you know, but with us, you know, and our kind of level of obsession with bands, you know, I would say, you know, I was a, yeah, quasi fan, you know, I wasn't, like you said, I mean, maybe a, a little step in a little bit of what you described, maybe a little step more of that, where I'd had, you know, a couple of their CDs, you know, I, I, always enjoyed them but i thought i gotta see them live and all i've heard is that what a great live band they are and i just love this concept of this setting you know of seeing them you know in kind of a comfort zone for me a place i'd been a couple years you know before um i knew what the crowd would be like i knew kind of what i could do and get away with to have you know my my own fun whatever it is you know so it just felt right you know to see this band that everyone had been talking about in some ways too yeah so that's what it was for me and so maybe i was very open for it you know to be and i hope i try to do that with most music you know is that i i want it to be good and I, I and if it's and if it doesn't just like bring me down and I enjoy it and I have a good time, then, hey, you know, like that's a good experience. And there's not always so many of those in life, you know, so but this one. Yeah. Like changed me. I will say that. Um, but yeah. So just a quasi fan, basically. Me, too. Well, not even I wasn't even a quasi fan at that at this point. Right. I was not a fan. Right. Uh, I wasn't actively against them, but I was kind of dismissive. I wasn't seeking out Radiohead, but I did have high expectations for this gig. I really did. My friend Danny and I, at this point, we had been friends since elementary school. At this time, I was 24 years old at the in, two, in the summer of 2004, or not even, I was 23. So we were... We looked at the lineup because we were good friends, but our music tastes had sort of started to diverge. He was much more into indie rock. Radiohead was his pinnacle. They were his fish is to me. Um, And when we were younger, my favorite was The Who and his was Pink Floyd. So it kind of, you know, it's a good enough analogy for the SATs where he goes to that, you know, that kind of uh, atmospheric, ethereal sound where I'm much more power straight ahead. Give me something I could chew on. Perfect. And when we saw the lineup released, I had been to Bonnaroo before he had not. And when I saw Tom Petty highlighted um, headlining that Friday night, I loved, I mean, who doesn't love Tom Petty, you know, and he's canceled. If you don't love Tom Petty, (laughs) it's okay. You just, it's not just, I'm, we're, you know, just fine. Maybe you don't like music at all. You, you either like Tom Petty or you just hate music. It's one of the two things. It's all only, there's only two options there. You know, when you get a, a band's greatest hits album, there's always like the back half where after track, maybe nine or 10, it's kind of like, Oh, this one is pretty good. It's a B side, but we'll put it on its greatest hits album. Cause it sold a ton because it was the B side of the, the track number two. Tom Petty, you can go 25 songs down his best and there's still 20 more that are top radio hits and good sing-alongs during a campfire. Accurate. So Danny and I went and it was on the surface, at least it was Tom Petty for me, Radiohead for him. And then, you know, let God sort out the rest. And so we went (laughs) Friday night was unbelievable. I was, you know, you mentioned going solo. 
he and I saw some of the same acts, but for all intents and purposes, we roamed solo, except for when it was time to go back to the tent. Tom Petty was an incredible experience. It was one of the best rock shows I've ever seen in my life. Straight ahead, sing along. Everyone loves it. Rock. Saturday, the lineup I remember on the main stage going toward uh, before Radiohead played, it was Elvis Costello and Alan Toussaint and then Beck and then Radiohead. So I was in this I was in this field for like nine or 10 hours. It was the only time I've ever peed in a bottle. And the girl in front of me turned around and goes, are you peeing in a bottle? I said, no, completely lied. No, to, like the Jedi the... mind trick. Jedi yeah, mind trick. Yeah. No, no, I'm not actually. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Amazing. But, but uh, he, but my friend Danny was such a huge Radiohead fan and he and I shared so many tastes that I kept thinking there's got to be something there. There's something that I'm missing. There's got to be something because he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only person I knew who also loved fish and all the classic rock that I love and Pearl Jam and more for that time, at least contemporary rock. But Radiohead just seemed to be the one I couldn't slip my fingers around. I just couldn't get it. I remember when OK Computer came out in 1996, I was in eighth grade, maybe just started ninth. And the older kids we're talking about it like this is a complete reinvention of the world of music as we know it. And I just heard a lot of beeps and boops. <laughs> that was yeah. that was most of my impression. Honestly, I no, didn't I didn't grab it. I didn't yeah. like it. Yeah. It was too, too loose for me. And so this is 10 years later. And I said to myself, I'd been to Bonnaroo before. If I don't get it here, if I don't get it at radio, if I don't get Radiohead there, in that atmosphere, in that situation, in the best vibes possible, then you know what? It's just not for me. At least I gave it my best. No, and that's I where I, that's, that's where I came in. Yeah. If you had to recommend one Radiohead album, if someone came up to you and said, you know, I, like I would have been in 2005 or 2006 and said, I've wanted to get into Radiohead. I don't know where to start. What would you tell them? In Rainbows. Because In Rainbows, to me, right, is the best amalgamation of both of their sounds, okay? Of more of the grunge rock and, and, and that sound, also with a mix of the electronic sounds that you're getting more familiar with with Radiohead at this time. And to me, it's just, it's a perfect record. That's the one that I would say, if you don't like In Rainbows, then I don't think you can really ultimately get Radiohead, which is fine. I don't think they are for everyone, you know, either. Since this is ostensibly a fish podcast, <laughs> do you see any connection or connective tissue is a better way, I think, to say it between fish and Radiohead, even though generally they don't sound alike? I, I do. I do. And I think more more now than ever. Um, and I think Trey is someone who absolutely is open to more modern rock and indie rock and and some of the things that maybe not everybody in the scene listens to. And I hope in some ways that it does open people's minds to some of this music. You know, when you think of the TV on the radio cover with Golden Age, you think of Energy with Apples and, uh, and Stereo. You know, there's all these different kind of little moments that Trey has set is basically telling us that, hey, there's a lot of good music being made out there now. We should all be listening to it. You know, and I think Radiohead. There's been a couple little moments where even Ed O'Brien, you know, from Radiohead has kind of said, hey, I, you know. I don't know maybe if fish is their their 
music, but what I do think they recognize and appreciate is what Fish has created, right? Is a space where they can be who they want to be and play whatever music they want to play and they can jam and they can experiment and their crowd is open to that. So for, again, for new listeners, the way that this podcast usually works is after we get some background info about the guest and we talk about the context in which the show or the jam was played, we usually do a breakdown. This set for Radiohead was a total of 28 songs, which is absurd. Yeah, yeah. Let's start with one. Yeah. (laughs) It's and with two encores, the encores themselves were 10 songs. Amazing. You know, I think the the first encore was eight songs, and then the last, the second encore was two songs. Incredible. I mean, that, that's just nuts. So, rather than go over it song by song for a couple of guys who, admittedly, aren't diehard Radiohead fans, we probably sound less informed than any true Radiohead fan would be. We each picked three songs from the set that we each picked out as highlights, and we'll go over them one by one. So, Matt, you started with fifteen steps. I I did. And I did because it was the first in rainbow song. And I think to me, this was an in rainbow set ultimately, even though we standing there didn't know it, you know, and it was really a showcase of this new record that they had um, in such a really incredibly cool way. It was still a year, almost a year before they would release the record. So it was basically brand new music for even, you know, what I would assume most heavy Radiohead fans, you know, I don't know if they were getting bootlegs from the tour before, you know, or something like that, you know, or the, the, the dates before. So I, you know, it was just, again, an incredible experience to see people around me and myself having these moments of like incredible connection with this music that none of us knew. And, you know, like you weren't looking around going, oh, this guy's singing the lyrics and just vibe. This was his jam. You know, it was more of just like, oh, my God, we're seeing this incredible, you know, music being created right before our eyes. And we're all having this moment, you know, and it also felt like different than what you hear at Bonnaroo. Right. You know, and, and again, Bonnaroo was stretching out at that time a little more. But it still wasn't really where you're going to find a lot of EDM or, you know, music that, you know, you would consider to be a borderline techno, you know, and this song has is very, you know, techno driven, you know, with the drum machine. Did you 
So I just, yeah, I love this moment in this, in the concert. Yeah. This is a weird song and it's only, and it's only the third song in for their set. This opening trio is there, there two plus two equals five and 15 steps. That really set the tone for the night, you know, at least half of the night where the half that's electronic and weird. And then the other half was mostly slow, acoustic and thoughtful. And it goes back to what Tom was saying, where they just they I think someone had told them, listen, this is a jam band concert where you can just play jams or maybe someone had just told them that, you know, because there was just a level of like they didn't care about familiarity. They didn't care about, oh, we're going to get this crowd lit, you know, right off the bat with this, you know, rocking paranoid Android or, you know, something they're familiar with. It was like, no, we're going to play what we really want to play. And we think they'll come along on the ride with us, you know? And I think that was the interesting thing is that by this song, everyone was along for the ride, even though no one was going like, again, you know, no one was chanting the words or like, it was just felt like by, by this third song with, yeah, them coming out, Johnny and Ed just on the drums for there, there, you just, it just felt like art and, you know, in the best way possible. Stuff in the set list and in our choices was my pick, Weird Fishes Arpeggi. And this was a new one at the time. And I obviously had never heard it before. It was the fourth song in the set. It was here, in my opinion, where it really kicked into how the band just creates this sonic tapestry of guitar layers and background vocals. And it's really all enveloping. This is where, you know, when I mentioned earlier that I had this realization that all the sound is coming from the stage, that was a little bit later, but this is really the first inkling of that, where it's like, there's this fog in the form of music coming from the Mm -hmm. stage and it's just covering everybody with, you can't even, you could see around you, but you couldn't hear around you. And this is the first instance I felt that way.
this is so amazing because again, I, I can't, you're, you're putting it so perfectly and, and, and it's so cool to hear someone have like this and we were nowhere near each other. Like I was kind of more back. So it sounds like you were a little bit more fun, you know, and like we're, we're, we, we came at this at different ways and we're at, you know, and we had such an incredibly similar experience. And again, it just goes to show like this level of connection that music can have. And, you know, I, I don't know, it's just, it's blowing me away. You describe it that way because yeah, I, I kept having those exact moments and feeling, yeah, like this is fog of, you know, amazingness was hitting me, you know, and whether it was, it was the crowd, it was the, the visuals, there was some really cool light, you know, work that was being done throughout these songs. I think, you know, going back and looking at it on YouTube, that's probably an underrated piece of it, you know, and yeah, just absolutely enveloping you. That's a perfect word for it. But at the same time, this song, weird fishes, arpeggio, it's not completely inaccessible. You know, it's not like planetarium music, you know, there's something there that you can center yourself with. And unlike let's, I think the next song was Mixomitosis. And that's a, that's a freak out. That's yes. a weird song uh, vocally, musically all over the place, but weird fishes in arpeggi kind of prepared me for the music that was to come when it wasn't the older stuff that I was quasi familiar with. And it's become a, it's become a very popular song. I mean, I think it's probably one of the biggest songs off in rainbows and people really, really love getting opportunity to see it, you know, again, seeing it in its kind of infancy. And some of these songs also have little different arrangements. Again, this is pre the album coming out. And when you, if, if you've ever had an opportunity to see them post in rainbows coming out, there's some different arrangements that happen um, in videotape at one point, you know, videotape is completely different than the album version by the end of it. And like, um, and then also by how they performed it later on in concert. So that was the other cool piece, you know, is kind of getting these songs in their infancy, you know, like weird fishes. That's now like a staple that everyone loves. Mm-hmm. It was like, that was a, just a new song. It was, you know. And speaking of staples that everyone loves going in order of our choices via the set list, The next one that I picked was No Surprises. And I already explained my thoughts on OK Computer. I remember when it came out, I never wrapped my head around it. I still think it's a kind of a challenging listen. But No Surprises was the ninth song of the set. And it was the one that, to my memory, and then listening back to the whole set, I still subscribe to this, that it got the best crowd response. There was a line that I heard at the time, one of the few lines that I could correctly hear what Tom York was saying. Uh, it's not always easy, but there's one part about a minute in where he says, bring down the government. They don't speak for us. Yes.
and it gets this gigantic cheer. And immediately I was transported back to, I was just out of college, right? I graduated college in 2004. This was the second George W. Bush administration. I remember that fear, that hopelessness, that source of confusion, where it was really a disillusionment from a lot of people who were, you know, who thought Bill Clinton was one of the best presidents of our lifetime. And then W at the time, and you could argue still kind of screwed everything up. And when, <laughs> when you hear Tom oh, York, this, what's that? Fair, this is a very fair assumption not to dip our toes too much into politics, but yes, yeah. I think that was uh, absolutely a accurate description of the vibe of, especially let's just say the crowd of those 80,000 people, right. That were yeah. there at Bonnaroo were probably mostly like-minded folks that had a large amount of fatigue for W and the things that had happened in W's administration that were right. That were, it was that this set and some of those musics, like not just Radiohead set, but lots of the sets had very political undertones. Yes, definitely. And this line, this very key line, bring down the government. They don't speak for us. And I'll, spare everyone my Tom York impression of saying it. I'll just play it. Yeah, (laughs) it was, but it it automatically brought me back while listening to it now. And at the time expressed what a lot of us felt, whether or not we said it aloud. And then the whole song is paired with a glockenspiel. which is like this Trojan horse of a song where it's like very depressing and moody messages paired with a childlike sound and melody. And at the same time, being very clear to a crowd of 80,000 people, it was really something. Uh, Yes, uh, no doubt. And again, it's another example of those moments where they weren't afraid to play something, even though maybe a little more radio, this had been played, you know, it was a little more familiar maybe for folks. And it was one of the more accessible songs on OK Computer. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I, I, again, though, but the, the crowd just was in their hands, you know, like, and that was the piece. And like you said, like, sometimes you can't hear Tom, but sometimes, man, it just rings out and speaks to you, you know, and again, songs like you, we don't have on there, but like you and whose army, it's the perfect kind of, it's not, it doesn't take, again, it's a slow, quiet song, but it builds this, you know, like it's easy maybe as a rage against the machine, right. (laughs) To get somebody fired up about something political, you know, but to sit here and, you know, with a glockenspiel and, you know, sing a slow song, but have the messaging that gets you so like, yes, exactly. is so right. Is a talent that only so many bands have, you know, and to balance out those politics, it should be pointed out that, no surprises on OK Computer was released in 1996 during Bill Clinton's second term. So we know that it wasn't written because of the state of of the world geopolitical affairs in the early 2000s or the mid 2000s. But it certainly gave us a lens in which to interpret the line and the whole song in general. Exactly. Exactly. Next up, you picked Street Spirit, one of my favorites, too. Why did you pick Street Spirit? 
I just think it's a perfect song. I, I think it's a great 90s song. Like in some ways to me, it's a perfect sum up of kind of this Generation X a little bit malaise that was a thing, you know, this idea of fading out, you know, and and it just, the vocals are gorgeous. I think you mentioned it and I mentioned as well, like there's this level of, quiet to just rage in his voice and the way he delivers the song that's perfect and I, I find it to be an arena rock song but it has emotions and that's like to me the a perfect song you know a song that can rock you but can also connect on a on a an emotional basis you know and i don't know i just i love this song live especially yeah. say that about most Radiohead songs, I would think. And the dynamics in this one is what really grabbed my attention. It starts very soft, like you mentioned, and very, um, not quite acoustic, but it has that vibe. And then it switches to like the full snare drum and a ride cymbal and more powerful at about three minutes, a little more than three minutes. And then it becomes really serious as opposed to maybe soothing if you're not paying attention to the lyrics in the beginning. Right. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. It's just there's times when I think everyone needs like everyone feels like Tom feels in this lyric and in this, you know, song, I I think. And he just like expresses it musically and lyrically perfectly. Um, And the Benz is just an incredible record. That's probably the record that doesn't that gets kind of thrown away in the history of, of the worlds. And like you said, it's my favorite. 
I know. And well, I and I think OK Computer is really the one, right, that like everybody, oh, it's changed everything. And that's what they kind of became known as, as the OK Computer bands. They're more known as that now than they are as the Creep band, you know, and I don't yeah. think they want to be known as the Creep band really either. You know, and I don't think they love Pablo Honey as a record, you know, overall. But they, I'd like to put a shout out for anyone can play guitar. I, I love know. that song. I know there is so many great tracks on there and they still every once in a while mix those tracks in, you know, but I just think that, yeah. And the Benz is still, I, I don't know that they, that it gets enough credit, you know? And like I said, I think it's the best grunge record of all time personally to me. And, and street spirit is a perfect example. And I pick the next song, uh, the title track, that is the yes. Benz because Perfect. this is the song that really soaked Radiohead into my bones. I talked earlier about I had the expectations or the hopes for this set before I left for Bonnaroo that if I don't get it here and there, I'm never going to get it for Radiohead. Like I said, at least I took my best shot. And the Benz, I, I left this, this uh, set saying I'm never going to miss them again. If they come around to play anywhere near me, I'm going to see them like fish and Radiohead in my head are the two bands worth traveling for. Boom. Love like that. that. And it's a very short list, but the like Radiohead is a can't miss band. And right. this set did that for me. And I think the bends, their performance of the song, the bends did that for this set for me. Cause I remember the opening chord of the song being so loud and powerful it almost physically knocked me back. I can picture myself right there, right now. almost disorienting awesome. because so much of the set is so quiet and ambient layered laid back or electronic that the bends really just snaps you out of it it's like oh wait no we're one of the world's best rock and roll bands too don't forget that here here it is we're going to show you and it's just such a physical like rock you know like that's why they are that's why i really was wanted to revisit the youtube and see see it you know, in some ways as well, because just Johnny just cranking on his guitar, you know, and and Tom just gyrating and like just completely also cranking on his guitar. And like they had they put so much energy into some of these songs. And and like I said, I've been to several Radiohead shows, prior, you know, since I've seen them a million different YouTubes and different, you know, I wa was watching all their little dinner and movies, you know, not to throw in a fish reference, <laughs> but they were, they were doing a similar thing where they were releasing, you know, during COVID over the summer, you know, releasing different live shows, you know, old past live shows. I was watching all of them, you know, and like, there's just, 
an energy for this show and the, this this performance of the Benz is like if you could just like single that moment out and go this is Radiohead and like if you like rock then I don't know how you don't like this because yeah this is a amazing rock band. Yeah, and it's part of their DNA too. Yeah, because like exactly. you said, that they're very the rate they're the OK computer band. You know, if like you know when a baseball player retires and they show all the highlights of that player's career, there's always one that stands out above the rest. Whether it's Hank Aaron hitting his 715th home run or Derek Jeter doing the flip play in the 2001 World Series, no, the 2001 ALDS, I think it was. Right. And so it's like, all right, well, if you get to freeze an artist in his time, that's the one that everyone remembers. Okay. Computer is that album for Radiohead, but the bends, I mean, it also shows Tom York's voice. It displays it in such a great way that it's, he's not a prototypical rock singer compare him to like Roger Daltrey or uh, Robert Plant, for example, or even Eddie Vedder his voice is so much more slippery. It's so much more reedy and high pitched, but he really uses it as a true instrument and the bends, this song, this performance, it's a huge demonstration of that. And it grabbed me. It didn't let go. No, it's so raw. I mean, again, it's like, you, you know, he's feeling every single word he's saying. And I love front men like that. I mean, Honestly, jam bands tend to kind of step back from that a little bit of that, you know what I mean, in some ways. And I just there is nothing better than a good front woman or front man to me that just really emotes. And like just you, you know that, again, the performance that they're putting out there is so genuine every single time. I, I feel that with Tom, you know, and I think that's why people have gravitated to them as a live band. I mean, I don't think that they're. I don't think that they would, the music that they have is as easily as accessible as it ends up being, you know, because you just feel, you know, that they're giving it their all in some ways when they're up there, you know, and not all bands do that. And that's, that matters, I I think, you know, and now, and it also matters. And it also is kind of, there's different ways you do that. 
And what Radiohead is able to do is, is like have the musical mastery, right? And have like the wizardry behind and the, the genius and the technical ability, but then also have the emotional piece, you know, which not a lot of bands are able to do. A lot of bands try and some are better than others at being able to kind of bridge that gap. But they just, if you're a technical nerd, music nerd, you like Radiohead. You know, if you're like an emo kid that just wants to like feel from their music, there's Radiohead for you. So like not many bands can do that. And the last song of our choices you picked, a popular favorite, is Karma Police, which I think closed the first encore. Right. It got later on in the set. And the really interesting thing is how they split up the sets, right? And they have a big encore that's like 10 songs, you know, and then there's like another encore after that encore, you know, it's almost like a first set, second set encore, really, in some ways, it's hard to even call it, you know, a traditional looking thing. And then Karma Police, which I think, along with Creep, and maybe no surprises, a couple others is probably, you know, is in the running for their biggest song, you know, their most familiar song. And I think this was where the juxtaposition happened for me too, where it was like, like this was like an art experience where I sat here and listened to a bunch of music that I didn't know that was like changing me in the moment that was having these dynamics and these quiet moments were, you know, again, that was blowing my mind, but then also there again, a rock, an arena rock band, you know, a band where like everyone can, they're a sing-along band, you know, again, I, I wanted to kind of highlight, and I think you did the same thing and it's so easy to do with them, like highlight the different types of Radiohead there is out there, you know, and this is where they're like, again, an arena rock sing-along band. just like hearing people sing this chorus as they leave it kind of rang out throughout you don't really get it in the recordings 
um, as much anymore because they cut those sections out, you know, to get to the next song. But basically between the encores and them coming out, everyone sang it, you know, the whole time. And so that just kind of blew me away and I'll never forget it. What did you do after the Radiohead set was over? Do you remember? We 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 met. It, it just kept going. I like the vibe from it. I I couldn't really. There was not definitely not going back to the tent. There was none, mm-hmm. nothing like that. It was all about like I've got to experience more. Like I I've got to keep this feeling going. If that makes sense. And so yeah, I would write to Doctor John. Because Dr. John got started a little bit before Grab, right? So mm-hmm. basically, I was able to kind of wander over there. And I was kind of in the back of the Radiohead show a little bit. Um, just kind of not super far back, but kind of, a, you know, maybe, I don't know, 20 yards from the soundboard back, you know, a little bit. So when they ended, I was able to kind of quickly get, and I'm solo, right, right. too. So it's not about grabbing crew. It's not about, you oh, my God. You don't have to guy. convince anyone to go with you. Right. No, we're not recovering. And I didn't I didn't need to help anyone recover or anything. You know, it was just like, okay, I'm feeling good. I need more music, you know. And, like, there's so much amazing more stuff going on. So, yeah, I went straight to Dr. John, chilled out there for Dr. John, and then probably caught five songs of Dr. John. And then I thought, I want to get a good spot for Grab. And I probably had, like, the best spot of any of the shows that I ultimately really, really wanted to see was for, you know, uh, grab and Phil Lesh. I was real close for it. And that was rowdy. Yeah. And I, re- I was on the outskirts of that one. By the time I found my way there, it was already packed. Like, cause it was in a tent. It wasn't yeah. at, in a field, all the space under the tent was already spoken for. So I could hear it. Cause you can hear Phil Lesh's bass from another planet. Like exactly. I knew, I recognized it instantly. I knew who it was. So I think it was trucking. It was either trucking <laughs> or Casey Jones. They were playing, and Casey I Casey Jones, yeah, yeah. And the bass hit me before anything else. And I said, "Well, just like the Fruit Loops toucan follows his nose, I just followed my ears straight there." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. After yeah. Radiohead, I know, I know that sound. Yeah. After Radiohead, I was so zoned out. I was I was so transported. I I, I really to be very cheesy, lost myself for a little bit that I just kind of wandered around like you. I was by myself and I walked so far around that I found these statues, these like art installations that were stone dragon heads that were on poles and shooting out of their nostrils was blue flame, but it wasn't like shooting out. It was almost like a, a gas range where the blue flame was just enough that it kind of blew back onto the stone nostrils. Like it was kind of, I can't describe it very well, but I thought to myself, this seems like a pretty good place to just lay down in the grass for a while. Nice. So I laid down in the grass for maybe 10 minutes. It could have been five hours, who knows? And I got up and I started wandering around some more and I heard some great music. I started hearing head held high by the velvet underground somewhere. And I'm like, well, who's ever covering this? I want to go see who that is. 
And I heard this great band covering Head Held High. And I asked the person next to me, who is this? And they told me, oh, this is my morning jacket. Oh, yeah. And I had heard of them, but I never heard them. And I said, really? all right, well, I'm in on these guys. And then a couple songs later, they played a quick one while he's away, which is a Who song that's about eight and a half minutes long. It's a mini opera. It was like the precursor to Tommy. And no one ever covers it. That's a rarity. That's a deep cut. If they ever there was one, Brian, they, they played, played it, it right for me. That's what that show was all. That's what that weekend was so magical, man. I like, I, I just feel like we're not the only ones that had to have these kind of moments where it just felt like the bands are somehow like doing this for us, you know, and like it just hit every single, you know, button it could hit. And so that made you uh, a My Morning Jacket fan. Yep. correct? I, know I just saw them this summer. Oh, incredible. Right. So I just there's so many musical connections that can be made in my life. And so many times where I go, man, if there was one decision that I was iffy on and I didn't know and I was nervous, I was anxious about doing and I was the best thing I've done, you know, in a, yeah. you know, and, and I'm so glad that I decided to do it. And like I said, I'm, I'm just so glad to have a chance to talk with you about someone. And speaking of zoning out, right? Like even Tom was zoning out, right? He said, this is, a, you know, at one point he said, you have to zone out to this song. But then he said, Bonner, this is Bonnaroo. You know, everyone's zoned <laughs> out, right? You know, and, you know. He was very in touch with the crowd. For someone who has, at least in my estimation, this kind of aloof, off-putting, sort of bored artist persona, like he gets it and everyone else doesn't like he's on a different, and he very well may be on a different level than he is an artist. He was very interactive. He was playful. He danced around in his goofy, goofy way, but he was, he was there. He came to play for oh my gosh. Right. And it goes back to that concept of where it was like a perfect, like mix of vibe and crowd and audience that was willing to hear new things that could, could vibe with what they were doing. I mean, let's be honest, maybe a heavy duty Radiohead crowd might not maybe go for what they were doing because in some ways, you know, again, it was, it was bunch of new songs that hasn't been released, you know, they're not getting, so we, we were having the same experience that everyone was having out there, whether they were Radiohead, you know, big fans or, or like us, you know? So, and I, and I think they felt that. And then they felt like, okay, after the first three songs, like we talked about where no one's bullying them, no one's like walking, (laughs) no one's walking away. We played these like weird B side, you know, tracks that are slow and like very artsy, you know, and they, all this crowd could have left us immediately and here they are and they're eating it up and they're loving it, you know? And like, it's just when you find those moments of perfect bliss between audience and and artists and that doesn't happen often and th- that 2006 Bonnaroo had it time after time well Matt thank you for taking this leap into the unknown this this jump over the edge with me for the first episode of attendance bias not about fish and not even a fish adjacent band you know Radiohead is pretty on the other end of the spectrum one could argue but I think what binds it all together yeah. is the bias, right? Is the experience you have live in person. Whether it's Fish or whether it's any band, like like this experience that we had, you know, that's what it's all about, you know, is having those experiences. And that's why I thank you for letting all of us relive these moments, you know, and listening to someone 
whether it's a show I was at or a show I wasn't at, you know, describe these things is again, what it's all about. So, so we appreciate you. You deserve every one of those 20,000 <laughs> downloads. Brian. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Matt, take care. Thanks again. Good to see you. And that's it for my interview with Matt Campbell about Radiohead at Bonnaroo 2006. And since this was the first venture into discussing a different band, different than Fish at least, and it was among two guys who were admittedly not experts at Radiohead, there is bound to be some parts that we need to double check, to check out some annotations, and to correct. So now it's time for the Attendance Bias Fact Check. Attendance Bias Fact Check. I mentioned seeing String Cheese Incident at Radio City Music Hall for New Year's Eve during Fish's hiatus, but I was off by a couple of years. The String Cheese Incident New Year's Eve show that I saw was on December 31st, 2004, so Fish was not technically on their hiatus. They were instead on their breakup. I mentioned the Roots playing at Bonnaroo, and I figured that they played every year, that it was a perfect festival for them. But it turns out, according to my research, the Roots have only played the festival three times, in 2003, 2007, and 2012. When the Tower Theater in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania came up, I mentioned that Fish played there before. The band played at the small theater on May 1st and 2nd, 1993, as part of the spring tour that year. In the same part of the conversation about seeing Radiohead in small venues, I bragged, or as Matt might say, I flexed, that I saw Radiohead at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City in 2008. I was off by a few years, though. The show I was thinking of was on September 28th, 2011, as the band was either preparing for or had just released the album King of Limbs. I forget which one. My memory was more than a little off, though, since I did not see Tom York play upright piano for Paranoid Android. Instead, it was for Subterranean Homesick Alien, which was a big highlight. When I asked Matt about any connective tissue between Radiohead and Fish, he name-checked Radiohead guitarist Ed O'Brien, who hasn't been shy about his love for Fish. I found two direct quotes from O'Brien about the topic. The first one is from the Toronto Sun, where he says, Doing extended jams is certainly something we've been doing. The idea is we take these songs and stretch them out. I've been really inspired by Fish, and there's a great podcast called Long May They Run. And it's all about Fish and their story and their philosophy and their credo. They're such an adventurous band. I've really been influenced by them. So the show is really where dance and rave meets Fish. That's the place I want to be. Another quote from Billboard from Ed O'Brien says, I'm really influenced by Fish. I think they are just so fucking brilliant and they're not on the radar here in Britain. I've got so much respect for where they go musically. It's like a jazz band. They're willing to take risks for a moment of musical transcendence. That's what I'm after. I want to tap into that. I don't think anybody opens up for Fish anymore, but if they were to do a festival, I'd love to be on their bill. And that's the end of Ed's quote, but can you imagine a festival with Fish and Radiohead? Holy shit, I'd be there in a second. And in addition to the fact check today, please take a look at today's show notes for links to the official video feed of Radiohead's full set at Bonnaroo 2006, as well as Tom Petty's full set from that weekend also. Just be aware, the Radiohead video is perfectly mixed to the soundboard recording, whereas the audio for Tom Petty's video uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. 
But that's it for today's show. I'd like to thank Matt Campbell for joining me today and for taking a brief step into the unknown. I'd like to thank all of the resources available about Radiohead set, including Live for Live Music and Rolling Stone. And of course, I'd like to thank all of you, our listeners, for tuning in and for your support. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please take a minute to leave a rating and a review of the podcast on your app of choice. You can also reach out and find me on social media, usually Twitter and Instagram. Send a message, say hello, and I'll send you a free sticker. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias. Bias.